Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Therapy Tales podcast with me, Dawn Walton, the human behaviourist. And me, Jessica Brost, the dog coach and head behaviourist on Honest Hands. And the silence person who is sat right in front of the microphone and I'm across the table. We also have Willow here, so it'll be interesting if we ever pick up Willow's voice. And we're in Starbucks again, so we have lots of noise. So, we like Starbucks. We're we, drawn to Starbucks. We do. We are drawn to Starbucks. We have a puppy under the table, which is not unusual. What sort of puppy do we have under the table today? Well, he can't help it that he's a boozler. <laughs> no, it's not his fault. But he's kind of cute with floppy ears. He kind of looks like Gollum. Yes. <laughs> I, I came in and they said, have you met Gollum? I'm like, no, not normally, but, you know. He's very cute. He has ridiculously long ears. He's very... Very chilled, very happy here in Scotland. He's a nice boy, and he's. Um... And you're eating Maltesers, just in case anybody's wondering what's happening with your voice. Well, you've put a box of Maltesers down in front of me. Yes. It's going to happen. <laughs> Technically, it was in front of me, but yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> so you brung, you, you brung, you brung. I brung, I brung them Maltesers for <laughs> us to eat while we was doing our podcast. I don't. But she went in to buy um, some pasta in, in a Liverpool little shop because we always forget to buy food when we go down south. We pack everything else except food. So travel all day. And then today we're like, oh, we have no food for the, the Airbnb. So she went in to get some pasta because we had eggs and cheese. I thought, I'll just make some pasta, eggs and cheese. That was great. That was really good. <laughs> anyway. It's not selling it to me just now, but okay, cool. Cool. Eggs, cheese and pasta, yep. And a liver budley and woman couldn't figure out what she was trying to say. Yeah, because you were in the Wirral. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. The, the, I think we've talked before on the podcast about um, the Scottish accent doesn't get picked up by voice recognition software. Uh, even in, like, our local hospital here in Dundee, Nine Wells, has um, a voice recognition thing to be able to get through to the right departments, and it doesn't recognise the Scottish accent. Well, you're hardly the most Scottish people in the And world. you're not. Willow doesn't have the thickest Scottish accent. Yeah, so, but, and Liverpudlians have quite a strong accent. Oh my God. <laughs> really strong accent. It was like being on a TV set. Brookside. <laughs> so, Ash has a habit of um, keeping on talking about um, chicken and a can of Coke. <laughs> and she keeps saying it, and it drives my husband mad because he's like, stop it! It's from a TikTok or something like that. Chicken and a can of Coke. Oh, it's Liverpool. Was it? It is. Willow knows it's Liverpool. <laughs> anyway, so that's where you were. You were at the Wirral, which is partial Liverpool. It was beautiful. Really nice. Really close to my home, which was once accused of being South Liverpool on a market research survey that I did. <laughs> I'm like, how dare you? South, <laughs> south. But yes. Yeah, no, it was lovely. It was um, jam-packed with dogs and owners and... Yeah, got, got through a lot. It was interesting. That's a new word. Yes. Interesting, interesting sums up everything. Interpret as you will. So I've had an epiphany, but I'm not going to share it on this podcast because I think it's a bigger thing that we need to... Which I know is really annoying. Yeah, it's like annoying because you haven't even shared it with me. You've just said, I've There's had so this. much to discuss around it. Yeah. But it's not really new to you. You'll be like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. But for me, it's like reforming okay. how I'm going to work great with people not dogs dogs are fine dogs are easy they put dogs in a shelf over there dogs know how to dog um, but we were talking there about your cat yeah and I suggested that we put the cat on some anti-anxiety meds and you disagreed because you think that they would need it forever 
So um, it brought to mind a couple of sessions I've been doing recently that uh, I think are really important for people to understand reactivity or aggressive response. And I'm starting to think that um, we're not as aware as we should be of, of how much dopamine is responsible for these behaviours. Okay. So the first one is, um, remember him, Toby, the leaf chaser? Yes. Well, we're in a leaf chaser that's a few years on, and the trainer had suggested that at the time, at 13 weeks, that's the age that the wee man is just now, young Gollum, that it would outgrow the behaviour. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a common theme that trainers say, ignore it and they'll outgrow it. And so, um, very... Uh, normal, very common is car chasing behaviours from collies or um, you know, working type breeds that their fixed action, so that's their innate behaviour is not given an outlet so the dog finds a way to create a similar response so they can't chase sheep you can chase anyone that's moving sheep aren't in the city but cars are and the eye is drawn to that, and then dopamine is released, and then it becomes a compulsive behaviour. The thing that I'm getting at is that the owner of this leaf chaser, the way that she described it to me, was exactly the same as dog reactive owners describe the behaviour. Okay. Do you ignore it and it will go away, kind of? No. The, the, um, something takes over, the pupils dilate. The dog's with them, they can't hear them. You know, it's almost as if it's another personality taking over. Yeah. Which, as we know, is just adrenaline. So if you've got adrenaline and dopamine, that's a very addictive combo. Yeah, and, and endorphins. And endorphins. I'm going to add into this equation now uh, another client who's been working with really, really hard over the last few months. Um, I don't know if you remember the dog. It's an Aussie. Um, and it came along... One of the worst, one of the worst types of dog. You know, the owner's really stressed out. Dogs lunging and barking, everything that moves, it's not there. There's not many, very much I can do. I can't even do triage because it's not going to learn anything at that point. Yeah. So it's just a case of talking to the owners, trying your best to calm the dog, and sending them away to change things at home because right. this is not something that's going to be a quick or easy fix. So what's the difference, right? So in in what you see and what you observe, what's the difference between a dog that is reacting to their situation and a dog that is so far in a stressed state that the situation's almost irrelevant to the dog's reactions? How do you how do you tell the difference between that? Well, that's so difficult. Well, it's so difficult to put your finger on. Um, I guess I'm trying to remember like how I feel and I, I'm feeling like the dog's not focusing on me or anything one particular. Um, it's all over the place. It's very... The lack of connection to the other things, like stimulus, like if I touch the dog, it's not responding to that. Um, so I would normally like do a touch on its uh, side to kind of get it to turn. Yeah. Even a light touch. And if it's just not responding to anything, it's, it's gone. You know? I guess you would say the same with a human. So if a human's, you know being taken over by its chemistry they're just not responding in the normal way as you must have that with clients sometimes that you are working with where you're just like they're not going to take anything they're not going to be able to hear me whatever I say yeah so there is um, so it's interesting because you're like I'm not really sure it's how I feel and you've just described a process 
of elimination that you go through of checking certain key things and it's it's going to be the same thing with me so in a human that would be called an abreactive state a state where you've gone into shutdown and if you bear in mind you've got the fight flight freeze response which are critical responses based on an environment to help you survive so you're suggesting that a shutdown isn't just collapse in the corner and be not responsive are you suggesting that shutdown can also be so full of adrenaline and cortisol that the dog is or it's, the human is in a fight stage it's the final stage so you start with the fight flight freeze which is designed for survival but the shutdown stage is designed for not dying painfully right i mean it's like everything's to the max so um so that you just go into this fr- i mean if you think about it from a survival point of view this absolutely not present not reacting state is not good for survival it's a terrible state i believe in, in mythology it's called tonic immobility um so just before an animal's about to be eaten um but yeah. what i'm that, that would be shut down but what i'm seeing is a dog that's so heightened responsive to his environment so he's not he's not in the shutdown stage i'm remembering back to this particular dog yeah yeah um but yeah you're right i'm going through a checklist of things you know is it responding to touch is it resp- is it looking at his owners you know is there any cognitive function going on there is the environment creating a stimulus so you know what in the environment is creating this state is there anything in the environment that's creating the state can i change this state by changing the environment what factors can i adjust to change this state so if a person's gone into such an extreme state which is really rare to go into that level most people will freeze or flight which is still a slightly cognitive state they're still making a, a choice almost um then other stimulus will be able to bring them back but but for a person to be in this absolutely nothing is registering with the state is is fairly unusual yeah yeah okay um and then we've done some changes so he's better I suggested once we got some changes that he gets some anti-anxiety meds right so we've been trialing that for a few weeks and I spoke to her a few days ago and she said that he's um, not doing the same but this is the exciting part especially for owners with reactive dogs um, that he's doing the, the lunging and staring but then he corrects himself and comes back to them Right. so his reflex is still there but then he goes well, why am I doing that? and then he comes back to them so right. she's rewarding that and obviously I'm, I'm trying to get her to reward before the lunging so we don't want to be reinforcing that chain of, of behaviour but the interesting thing is that Trazodone has helped bring down for this particular dog mm-hmm. has helped bring down that intense state so he's able to then think his way through why am I doing that? the answer that everyone's looking for is so um, I'll just bring it back a little bit the leaf chasing is exactly the same process as the uh, reflex of lunging at dogs. Okay. It's a compulsive behaviour that's releasing dopamine. It's releasing adrenaline and it becomes highly addictive. So we know that. We've had discussions about that before. But the interesting bit is that if I told the owner of the dog that's reactive that the alternate would be a leaf chasing, she would laugh and go, well, that would be even better. But the leaf chaser is really upset with the leaf chasing because she's lost her dog. Her dog is not there, um, you know, cognizantly, he's gone. 
So both have an emotional reaction to the dog's behaviour, but actually, if you take the emotion out of it, it's just behaviour. Dog has found addictive yep. that he's doing. Where's it come from? And this is the bad bit, right? The bad bit is it's come from not meeting the dog's needs yes. as a working athlete. And so the dog has gone, I need to find something that I'm going to get that release from because yep. I'm not having the ability to do the thing that I'm bred to do. The interesting thing for me is the emotional response to the aggression because I'm getting a lot of people saying, but why does he do that? Why is he so mean? It's got nothing to do with meanness or he's not a psychopath. You know, he's just enjoying that. It's a predator. It's a predator. Dogs are predators. You know, you get a different response in a herd animal. You know? how, how do we convince people that chasing a leaf is exactly the same thing as lunging at a dog? The word chasing is the clue, right? I mean, we can understand that from this perspective, but your average owner will, will think that these are two separate things. Yeah, and that's, that's the always the problem. Doesn't. because the brain doesn't see it so um, Many people will come along and say, I have a problem with this, right? So the thing that you do differently to maybe a regular trainer is a regular trainer deals with this, train this situation to do this thing. Whereas when somebody comes to you and says, okay, I've got a problem with recall. I don't have any other problems. I've got no resource guarding. I've got no issues at home. I've only got a problem with recall. And it's like, okay, that comes from somewhere. That's not a problem with this. It's a problem that led to the problem with this, which is the branches of the tree thing. It's the symptom of the problem that you've actually got. So you've got a problem that when you provoke your dog, it bites. Like, why does it choose to bite when I provoke it? It was my fault because it was raining and it didn't want to go out or I used my knee to move it out of the way and it didn't like that. And it was my fault that the dog reacted in this way. If I don't do these things, I won't get those reactions. It's situational. It's nothing to do with dog being a predator and if it's asked to do something it doesn't want, it's going to react with aggression. Nothing to do with that. It's just to do with I asked it to do something. If I don't ask it to do something, I won't have a problem. And then when that avoidance doesn't work because actually it's the dog's behavior that is the problem, not this specific situation. And I, I don't know, I didn't get any signals, weren't any clues. What do I need to do to change this? I just need to get it so it's okay in the kitchen. Like, no, you just need to get it so it's okay when you ask it to do something, not it's okay in this specific environment. So we don't understand the difference between situational behavior and underlying behavior. <laughs> Yeah, and that's very apparent. You know, we had some trainers come along um, that are nothing to do with us. You know, clients that want to learn more. Um, and one particular stands out where you know, the dogs train to walk beautifully to heal. Like, you can put that on TV. Yeah. But the moment that she wasn't training it, he was all over the place. Mm. Training against his leap. And so she would say that he doesn't pull. But I saw him pulling several times. Yeah. Why is the human brain go, yeah, the dog comes back, yeah, the dog walks in the leap when it feels like it, <laughs> but when it's not, asked to do something. We're not counting that? We don't count that as behaviour? I think that's why it's so confusing, because we think of our dogs as programmable machines. We tell them to do something, they do it. We teach them to do something, they do it. We're all like, my dog can sit, my dog can give me a paw. My dog understands how to pick a cup out when I hide a a treat behind it. You know, my dog is so clever, my dog can do all of these things. And we lose sight of the underlying predator nature of the dog. And so then when we have a problem, we approach it in exactly the same way. What do I need to train it to do? 
to do that, but the dog is also a living being with its own quirks and its own responses, bad moods, angry, all these sort of things that happen, don't like the rain, whatever it is. So your dog actually has a personality as well and will make choices to react out of that, not just out of the situation and training. So yeah, if you don't, you can't train for every single situation. You can't possibly cover every single situation. So when I'm working with clients, they might come to me with a problem, which is um, I have to do a presentation at work and I'm really nervous about it. And I could just work with getting them so that in that presentation at work, they're okay. But the nerves about doing a presentation at work are firstly nerves about doing a presentation. Then they're nerves about doing standing in front of people, which comes from worrying what people think about you or fear of failure. And those things are going to be part of every part of your life. So my, I had a client the other day who we changed one thing. And she's like, it's really weird. She changed this one thing. And then there's this cone effect where all these other things have changed. And, and I don't know how they all changed. Because all you did was change this one little thing that didn't even feel that significant. But I'm noticing this big like radar style spread of all these other things that are now taken off by it. And it's like, yeah, because I could have started with a further point in the radar and you did notice specific changes. But actually what I did was I started right at the point of the start of the thing and got rid of it. I was speaking to um, Rachel on the walk today about parts because she's studying this just now. So um, people that don't know what parts are, it's the makeup of your subconscious as you're um, growing up. So you're going to have... Um, how do you describe this? Oh, I don't know. It's really interesting that you're trying though. <laughs> I was just waiting to see what so, happens. You're so kind. So it comes from the family mediating system, what's it called? Family... It doesn't come from anywhere. Internal family systems is yeah. the most common place that you'll come across parts. I think Dr. Richard Schwartz or something like that invented internal family systems. And, and he has a definition of there are different types of parts. Um, the core belief is all behavior serves a purpose and all behavior has a positive intent. So there's a book called No Bad Parts, for example, you know, that this kind of... working my way through that, yeah. Yeah, so there's this idea that, oh, you know, it's a horrible part of me or I'm, it's the not nice version of me, it's the devil on my shoulder. There isn't, there isn't such a thing. So the idea is to, to get the parts to speak to each other so that you can understand each one and then use the, make friends with them basically so there's no bad parts sitting in the corner somewhere. Like I've never had this problem, all my parts are beautiful, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so. It's just like, well, I need to call this, you know, Jess's description of parts therapy because it's just like, yeah, it's um, interesting. So yeah, I was, I was describing how when we have conversations, my take from you about the parts is that if we bring up a part that we've suppressed for a long time that we've considered bad, that all the chemistry that's involved in that is brought to the surface and so she was talking about how memories and so on and I said well I think that we're all seeing because she talks about it as energy and you talk about it as memories and I said actually if you look at it as coding because that's a better word that you use and um, I'm stealing it from you and it's not my word. You're welcome. Um, then and when I bring the biochemistry to that for me the coding is chemistry was released at the time yep. and then it's brought up again to help the survival so I need this chemistry to be released in order to survive mm -hmm. this experience and if it was coded badly then that chemistry is brought up that doesn't necessarily need to be there so yeah. for example if, if the coding brings up adrenaline and cortisol and we remember that event 
because we're bringing up the part that we suppressed, right? So you give me a face. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up. Honestly, I am. So we've suppressed that part yeah. with, its, with its coding of all that negative chemistry. Yeah. And if we talk about that part, we're bringing that chemistry to the fore and that yep. can take days to recover from. Yes, that is the um, classic therapy problem, which is you go and see a therapist and you talk through stuff and you add to what you've spoken about, the therapist reflection of what they think, your new understanding, and um, now front and center in your brain is something that maybe you hadn't thought about for a while or you've had, but you've never seen in that particular way. And that is stored in a database in your brain with a specific association and coding with this hurts, this is a bad thing. And now you've just gone, okay, that's all I'm gonna think about. And so what you do is you decode that, whereas most traditional psychology or therapists are, are just working around it and trying to make it like better whereas you go I don't need to know I'm just gonna delete wipe, the code wipe, wipe the initial code which um, is so simple but it's not something that's that's understood or done because you've been yourself so <laughs> damn you um, so that brings me nicely to thinking about um, the, I've got so many thoughts just now. Do you know what? I mean, honestly, I went to sleep last night. I had to write when I woke up and I had to write something down about this epiphany because it was like, oh my god. Now you're doing a teaser again. For no, I'm not. It, it all ties in, but you know, I, I, I just think that it's going to be a bigger podcast. I think that we need to get um, either Jesse or uh, Laura and get them on. Stuff like this. Or we can maybe even do it with which we call him. Have we got a date for him? Your, your man. Dr. David Hamilton, yes. um, supposedly at the 18th of December at the moment, okay. um, but I'd asked him to mail me so we can finalise, and he hasn't yet, so um, he, he doesn't check his stuff very often, so yeah, we might miss the date, but he definitely is going to come up to us and sit with us, and he's an amazing guy, If you if, just check him out in the meantime, he's on the Heal documentary on Netflix, um, his initial book, How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body. Um, is like I just think it's brilliant. He's written lots of books on kindness. His latest book is something about um, the subtle joy of not giving a fuck or something like that. It's, it's, yeah, there's, there's something, he's, but he's he's always writing new books and the, the, his content is amazing. I think I have the one your mind can hear your body. I'm pretty sure I've got that. One. Do you know what what I love about him is he's he's very down to earth. Um, you know, we've tried to get people on podcasts before and they've had all their criteria and. Uh, found it difficult to engage with this kind of conversation. He's just like, yeah, I'll come along and have a chat with you guys. And because for us, it's it's exploring. It is. It's fun. And, and a lot of the people that we know are textbook. And this is related to what I was about to say. Okay. That, you know, you're... So I've met somebody, uh, um, I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning her, she's called the Dog Behaviourist. So she was in Whirl and she said, oh guys, you're down here, you know, have fancy meeting up. So I went for a walk with her and had some coffee and... She's very similar. She's come from behaviorism, but she's left that behind and um, gone more for ethology. Because, like psychology, behavior is textbook. This is what the lab rats do. Yeah. It's, it's old. It's like dusty now, right? It, um, we've moved past it. And you do have to understand it, but I don't think they're teaching people to take it with a pinch of salt. I think we don't, we, I think, again, I think it actually relates to what we're talking about with the dog stuff and the situation and the training thing. We learn a thing, we don't learn to think about the thing. So when I did my master's in psychology, I kept getting caught out because 
the assessment would say, give me your opinion, considering evidence on but this thing. But they don't thing. want your opinion, they but want you to parrot what you've learned. If I ever gave an opinion that I could not say somebody had already said, I got marked down. But I'm like, nobody's ever said it, but I'm thinking about what they say. I'm agreeing with this, disagreeing with this, and in conclusion, suggesting, and no, no, you get marked down for that because you're not supposed to think. You're not supposed to have your own ideas. And this is, I mean, these podcasts have been hugely helpful for me. You know, one of our ongoing jokes is I don't know who I am, but I think that the problem with, with what I was, you know, trying to discover who I am was that I'm taking lots of different sciences together to make up the puzzle. Yep. And I think you're doing the same. Yep. Um, and so it's not the traditional trainer approach. And I think there's a place for trainers, but I think they all often outstep. And there's um, behaviourists really frustrating because unless they're kind of seeing outside of the box they've been taught, they're just parroting textbooks. Mm-hmm. They've not lived the, you know, living with the group of dogs kind of thing or, or spending some time with a pack of wolves or whatever is needed. So um, the idea of holding the different theories, the different sciences and, and trying to meld them together to make some sort of comprehension is really interesting. It's also, so it means as well that we're not, that, that word curious that you often say, we're not going, this is what it is. We're going, this is how we see it, but what else is, is part of the picture? And there's lots of different theories. And isn't it better to hold them all in your mind and say there's potential rather than going, I'll just stick with what this textbook told me and I'll not question anything else? I think you and I both have the same thing in our field, which is even right from the early days as a practitioner, I did things a little differently and I kind of go with the flow a little more and got rid of bits that didn't need to be there and things like that. And, you know, in, in therapy, we have structured supervision. And um, my supervisor would be saying, don't do that. That's, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. You shouldn't be doing that. And I'd be like, but it worked. <laughs> and it's amazing. And it's helping people. But you're telling me I can't do the thing that works and is amazing and is helping people. And obviously we have to think about ethics and, you know, look at the big picture and not have our ego get in the way. But if you find a pattern and that pattern works, then so what if somebody else thinks it's not a good idea and you have the same thing? It's like if you do it one way and somebody disagrees with it because it's not approved in their method they're likely to say it's wrong what you do but you're like but so what have you seen the results have you actually looked at what's like happening this is a this is the western way it's black and white and eastern philosophies you know this is generations thousands of years um the, the master is known to be surpassed by the student because it's open to interpretation the next brain will add and it is not restricted to do this and only do this yeah so you know we, we often say that willow will be better than me because she's going to have her own thing that she adds to everything that I'm, that I'm teaching her and, and showing her. And that's the point. We're supposed to progress. We're not supposed to stick with the, this is what it is, and yeah. you only do this. We need to try things, and we need to fail at things, and we need to yeah, and we think need outside to, the box. When something works, and it sticks, and it works repeatedly, you go, why? Because one of the conversations we've had is it's all well and good me being able to do it it's all well and good you being able to do it but there's more people there's more dogs than either you or I can actually help so if we want to be able to help more people not only do we need to undo it and find a way of doing it effectively we need to find a way of helping other people do the same thing how do we help other people to learn to do what we do and you can't teach somebody else if you've got no foundation if you've got no basis for it if you've got no science behind it no understanding so the minute you decide to try and teach somebody else how to do it you have to understand you have to understand it 
which is great. So teaching something is the best way of understanding something, I find. Or doing a podcast. Trying to explain it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, Noni and I were talking this morning and um, we came up with this God only sees you in church, right? So our behaviour, I know, it's, it's gone religious now, but our, beha- <laughs> our behaviour is um, only relevant for the moments where it's counting, do you know what I mean? Like, like Christians will behave very well in church on a Sunday, but the rest of the time they don't. And actually what we should be doing is behaving consistently. Yes, so that's just a perception, just a generalisation, by the way, as opposed to a slight against all Christians. Um, <laughs> just as a caveat, <laughs> but it's to explain the principle, yeah. And I, I think, um, and actually this links back to the parts thing because very often we feel that the version of us that um, everybody knows and sees, and this is the identity thing as well, right, mm-hmm. is, yep. um, is a version that we are on our best we're hiding the bad part of us, they're not seeing that. And then the, when we're on our own, that's where that all comes out. And if people really knew that, they wouldn't really like us and all that sort of stuff that goes with it. And I, I think that's, um, people bring their dogs and they're kind of like, oh my God, you know, some people are like, um, it's the worst behavior it's ever been and, and it's not normally like this. And then other people are like, it's normally behaving worse and you're not gonna know how its behavior is because it's not behaving that way. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> You've already worked out in the first 30 seconds what's going on with the behavior. It doesn't need to actually do it. But we have this perception of these silos, right? <laughs> this point, you, you do something, you do a behavior just in this space, in this way. And, and then what we were saying before about you know the dogs the dog will walk nice in the lead when I ask it, but we're not asking it. We, somehow it doesn't count. Yeah. Um, and I had this problem for many many years. You know we tell people with puppies, you're reinforcing the pulling because you're wanting your dog to say hi. But then you can walk around the class quite happily with your dog walking to heel. So why are we not doing that all the time? Why are we not being consistent with our behaviour? Why are we not being the Christian everywhere and not just on a Sunday? Yeah. Because we're not thinking about behaviour, we're thinking everything is about identity. Again, Father Christmas this time of year, right? Naughty and nice list. It's, it's like how many, how many of the 365 days do you have to be naughty to be on Father Christmas's naughty list? And how many people in July say, behave or else Father Christmas isn't going to bring you your presents, right? We, we, we mix the two things up. So we all do things just for Christmas. It's like, but what about the rest of the year? And we all go, in the new year, I'm the New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to get fit this year. Most people have dropped their New Year's resolutions by middle of January. But it's a year's resolution. You've got the whole year. <laughs> just because you didn't do it this month doesn't mean you can't do it next month or the month after. So we, we just think in like bite-sized chunks. It's like happening now. It's not happening now. It doesn't exist. It's like peekaboo. <laughs> it's going peekaboo with kids. It's like peekaboo. It's here. Oh, no, it's disappeared. Oh, my God. Where did it go? <laughs> I wonder, I'm just thinking out loud, but I wonder if the emotions are something to do with that, that the emotion, like I feel like most people are more emotional than I am. Okay. And, you know, I, I see like the opposite of emotion is logic, but I don't actually think that's true now. No, I think they're different states. Yeah. And, and one of the hardest things is to accept that emotions are a normal part of life. It's a normal part of being human. It's also a normal part for a dog. A, a, a dog's 
actually not going to be robotic no matter how much you work with it it's not a robotic dog it will misbehave sometimes but but if emotion is a state and people are so if it's a state of stress okay. that people are living under or you know so consistently I know that um, under pressure I have to go think what I need to do and I have to make myself think um, like losing a dog or something you know it's like, like what needs to be done think because you, you, the motion takes over yes. but if people are living like that consistently because of whatever's happened in the past and whatever they are and so on how can they recognise that to then go, I'm actually not thinking logically because they think that they are because that's what they're used to? Yeah, so it's, it's a normal thing to be emotionally hijacked. Our brains are primitive enough that we're always being emotionally hijacked. But that's happening all the time? So, yeah, speed of recovery is the measure of success, right? So speed of recovery is measure of success for dogs and for humans, which is how quickly do I get my brain back? So if you are permanently hypervigilant, then what it often means is... Um, you are ignoring all the cues, which can be worthwhile, by the way. You know, if you have to do a high-powered job, um, having experienced trauma can be a great way of being successful because you just don't get too... Because you're on such a high threshold that nothing registers, right? So this is back to the start of the conversation, that when you're in a permanently hypervigilant state, you're permanently emotionally hijacked, then actually, ironically, you're just you're working in a robotic mechanical state because nothing is registered. So I've got two examples for you. The first is your effing cat. So we can do it with drugs. We can help bring that down. And the second is my mother because she doesn't listen to the podcast. And you've helped her like you would not believe. Like she's a nicer person. And I've known her for 14 years. <laughs> right? So she doesn't get angry now. She, right. she just finds funny, funny things and things, which is amazing. Right? Yeah. Um, I have to tell you this funny thing. Like when I got back home, they did my bathroom for me when I was away. Oh, lovely. Um, and there was like notes everywhere. So she writes me notes on things, right? And there's a wee Daxi stool that I've got that's a little step, sort of plastic and flimsy. to get up to the couch, right? And she put a note on it that says, please don't stand on these. Oh, bless. And the other side of the note said, we have glued them back together. Oh, no. <laughs> that is the story. <laughs> you should have had your little... Um dog camera on while they were in the house and watched I them. I did have it on. My dad said, oh, by the way, your camera's off. And I said, why? And he goes, just in case you caught us doing naughty things on your new beanbag. Wow. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, massive points for your dad on that one. That was a great... <laughs> oh, my God. Thank God, thank God they don't listen to the podcast. Okay, so you were there. I know, but... So, um, yeah, so she... That's what I mean. I find that really like hard to comprehend that for 40 years that I've known her, that she's been in that hijacked emotional state without uh, yeah. recognising it. So you've come along. She's not even aware no. of the change. She's like, yeah, have a nice chapter on, right? And then suddenly she's like... Because I, I, I used to say things uh, and be really careful how I said things. I had to learn this. And, and she would like not speak to me for days. Mm. You know, she'd be really upset by these stupid words. Whereas now she just kind of laughs it off like a normal person would. But how can you not know that you're in a hijacked emotional state for so many years? Because I think, A, it's normal. And again, we associate, we think it's the person. So one of the things I deal with a lot is when your hijacked state leads to anger and rage um, 
it's really hard for an individual because they feel like a very horrible person that they react with anger. And anger is the fight. Oh, of she, the by fight. the way, would get very angry and then block it out. So she'd not remember what she did or what she said. Yep. And I didn't understand until a few years ago when we started talking what that actually meant. Yes. So we don't because as a society, I think we judge anger and rage as a not nice person trait, as opposed to it's a behavior that is the fight or the fight, flight, freeze. So for me, when somebody comes to me and they say things and they usually will say, I'm a horrible person, I'm a mean person, I can't believe how horrible I have been to everybody um, and nobody could like me or love me because I'm such a horrible person because I get mad and I say nasty things and I'm like, that's just information. And that information is that's the fight, so the fight, flight, freeze. Everybody else takes it as a personality trait. For me, it's behavior. And behavior comes from somewhere. So we work out where the behavior comes from. They will always react with anger and in the fight mode when triggered, but they will be less triggered. <laughs> so the things that used to trigger them will not trigger them anymore. So they will find less and less they have the fight. But if something happens, they will react with anger. Yeah, rather no, of than course, fight. I get that. I understand that. And, and there's a few things, few people that we've had this conversation with um, that you've, you know, affected like that. And some of them are aware of it. Some yes. of them are very aware and like, you know, I, I feel different as a weight off or all different things. But um, it's very interesting to approach it like that, as you say, because we, we, we feel like it's a personality thing rather than just coding that we've had at some point. That, that's it, you know, and I think one of the things you've, you've observed when you, you've noticed how I work is, for me, it's just information in the same way as it is for you. So somebody can be sitting there and they can be crying in front of me and saying all these things about themselves and what they feel like is confessing. And for me, it's just information. And I'm like, okay, where's that coming from? Where can we get to? How do we change this? I know I'm going to change it. I know you're going to be different. The difficulty for me is that I'm dealing with that plus their dog issue. So I, I can help the dog issue, but I can't help them in that moment. So we had a few of them, because we weren't, you weren't with us for the world, so we had a few of them where we're going, okay, actually some of them you'd worked with, so they were able to kind of come through it. Yep. But yeah, it's very, very hard, because you're, you're like, I don't need this from you just now, I need you to be with me and, yeah. and logical so I can help you with the dog thing, because the dog thing's actually quite easy if we just do this, this and this, but they can't do it because they're in that hijacked state where they're not able to learn. And I think we recognized that when we first started doing those um, four week and six week blocks, right? I was, I think we recognized that six quite- Six week blocks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, six weeks, six everything. I think we're over the six everything now, aren't are we? Are we? I think we might be. Um... <laughs> six days, I've snuck six, six days into the residentials. I know, but we've only had five residentials, so. Um, yeah, the, um, we recognize that We've got, that's why I was coming around on the walks with you. That's why I was working with the people, but it kind of gets to that level where, okay, this is a lot of work to get the people out of that state and they're missing the work that's going on with their dog while we're doing that. So we need to kind of do that before they get there. To be fair, I should be paid more. And me? <laughs> and you as well. Yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're doing double with the dog. You're we doing are. the human on the dog. Yeah. But they don't realize. No, they don't. Because you can't tell somebody that they've got a problem and you can't force somebody to have therapy for a problem. You can't, but you can point out... You can stick it in front of Jess. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, okay, I'm only doing it to shut Jess up and get her off my back. <laughs> wow. 
that when you save God? <laughs> <laughs> you know I save things up for the podcast. Do a lot of them come to you and say that? I'm only coming because Jess has harassed me into this. I know there's some that definitely only come because they just don't want to say no to you. Aww. But they're, they're, it's okay, they're, they're on board by the time they've had the first session, so it's well, all yeah. okay. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone who's been donned goes, I, I don't know why, but everyone should be donned, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think it's very hard for somebody to recognize they're emotionally hijacked, especially if that's the state they've always been in. They don't know anything else. Um, you and I both know that the hardest part of the work we do is people recognizing the difference, people being able to see the difference, because very often... So we had we had somebody come along, and I, I know she listens to the podcast. So you know, I'm referring to you, and everybody's going to come. That's must be me. Um, <laughs> we had somebody come along, and I'd done a session with her. You'd done a session with the dog, and um, I hadn't actually done a second session. I hadn't hadn't had the second session yet, so I hadn't spoke to her since the session. And you hadn't seen her and her dog since that first time that she turned up. No, I'm wondering who it is. Yeah, and then they turned up a couple of weeks back, and both her and the dog were just different people you almost wouldn't recognize them to the point where the dog no longer needs to come to the reactivity workshops because the dog's fine and she was calm as anything she was having fun with her dog she was enjoying it she wasn't overreacting to things that happened she was happily walking it in and out of reactive dogs and i'm just like watching with my jaw hanging on the ground she's not recognizing how what she was like before yeah because she was like but i still i'm doing this i'm still doing this and i'm still doing this Right, mm-hmm. and and that's the that's the hardest thing. So all of us are going. That is wow. the hardest thing. It is. So I, I've said to you before, we should video them before and show it back to them. Yes, but I know. you think that's not very ethical. They wouldn't let me. Most people wouldn't let me, but they would afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's very unethical to choose to video it and then go. Oh, by the way, I did it anyway. But imagine changing so much that you can't recognise what you were like. But we all can see, like Jessie's a good example. Hey, we've mentioned Jessie again. When she comes up here, we can have her on the podcast in real time. Mm-hmm. She'll love that. Um, yeah, so Jessie's a great example. and But she probably still isn't even aware of the, the memory that we have of her sitting in here on this table, tucked up in a ball with her hoodie. Yeah, like that. But Willow's doing a Jessie just now. <laughs> And just <laughs> rocking. <laughs> was she rocking? I'm not sure she was rocking. I'm not sure she was quite <laughs> rocking, but... Yeah, I, I don't even think she would recognise herself if she saw a video of that. No, and then you take the post that she put up a few days ago. Well, even in the world, like, this, this, she's like, honestly, she's like a different human being. Like, she's, she's totally. wrestling, wrestling dogs that are, you know, are going yeah. for and But the, the post that she put up a few days ago was like, oh, yeah, I've got a complex dog, but it's cool. I've learned so much, and I'm only here because of all the things with the dog, and I'm really looking forward to what I, I well, learned actually, next. even a few weeks ago, she was still upset. She still wasn't saying that. Yeah. Um, that, you know... Why? Always me. Yeah. Sorry, Jesse. No, but that's that's natural. It's part of the journey. She was, she was she's she's having in just months. There's this massive transformation, and she is recognizing it, but not the scale that the rest of us are able to see because it's like so obvious, so obvious. So how do you get somebody without showing them a before and after? I to know. know that what but you need that resilience like? in the first place because one of the first things she said to me is that I'll do whatever it takes. Yes. I often ask people, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how attached are you? If I'm getting a five or a six, that's a, I might let this go if this is too much. You yeah. know, she was an eleven. She yeah, was yeah. a, you know, I'm not letting this dog go. Yeah. I think we all know now that I said to her, he's such a bad case, put him down before yeah. I even met him, and she was like, no, show me how to live with this dog. And I think 
you know, her story is such an interesting, honestly, they should make a documentary on it, just her story. And then, you know, when I see her and I'm, I'm tweaking things and changing things, it was frustrating at first, but I think she's now getting it where she's going. And, and also, isn't that amazing for other people to realize that you can get massive changes in a week, but long-term changes take months and months and months. And then you have to be prepared to go, I did that thing three months ago, but now I'm doing the complete opposite of that yeah. thing. So, I mean, bear in mind, so I remember the conversations we had before this person who was well-known on Instagram with their dog came up. Yeah. We happened to be doing this training weekend and we're like, get them along to the training weekend. And Jesse's like, I don't want to be a dog trainer. Come, yeah. I don't want to come on it. Why am I coming on this? And you're like, well, I think it'd be useful for you. And then now she's saying, I want to work with more dogs. I love changing the world by working with these dogs. You know, months ago, she's like, why are you making she me go on a trainer upset. weekend? Because yeah, I'm not, I don't want to be a dog trainer. But sometimes, yeah, it's like you've got to trust in the process and see. She also didn't agree with getting a second dog, you know, which now she thinks yeah. is a brilliant idea. <laughs> so trusting in the process, because we know these stages that they go through. Mm -hmm. We know what the before and after looks like. Sometimes we just have to hold the space and accept and acknowledge that this is part of the journey and it's difficult and give them what they need to trust in us. But there's a certain leap of faith that everybody needs to have to work with us that is, I'm going to have to trust in you. And it's really hard because very often people question and argue and why do I need to do that? And, you know, like Jesse was like that. Why do I have to come on the trainer training? I don't want to be a trainer, you know? And why are you telling me not to do why anything with my me job? To see a therapist? <laughs> yeah, why are you telling me? But I'll do it because she was like, I will do what I'm going to trust in the process and do what I need to do. And the results show themselves, which they almost always do for people and dogs, right? Who are committed to the. the Who are committed to it, but we can't create that commitment either, you know? So one of my problems now is that. A lot of people, I mean, we've got an amazing community. It's just so exciting to watch it grow. I'm really actually enjoying the process of watching what's happening with Honest Hounds. But we also have people that are coming along going, oh, I want what you did to her. How much do I have to pay? And I'll have it done. And it's not about money and it's not no. about the magic wanding. It's about the person's commitment to the process. And, you know, go and read this, go and do this. And they don't want that. They go, no, 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 I want to, I want to come up and yeah. see you. They want a fast track. There's no fast track and it is not easy. It is not easy. There is no, you know, the end result is amazing and always worth it. But the journey there involves lots of internal doubts and worries and things like that. And it's your resilience and your trust that in the process that allows you to get through it. And you and I both very much support the people as they go through that. We help them understand it's normal, it's natural, give them things that they can do. But at the end of the day, you've still got to just trust in the process. It's hard. There is no way of making this easy. But the more curious you can be, the more you can take the wins, that's what makes it easier. Going, yeah, this is hard, but look, check it out. My dog just came back to me when I called them and they were happy. You know, I, I, the, one of the people who was on the residential was talking about having her dog in a stable yard, which is a really bad place for it normally. There's loads of other dogs and loads of random people coming in and somebody just unexpectedly came in the gate and all the other dogs kicked off and she just stood there and had a party and was super excitable and her dog was like what are we doing and it totally focused on her and didn't run off with all the other dogs and didn't react in the same way as it had always reacted before that's like immense to, to be able to do that that was her choice she wouldn't have believed us if we told her that's what she and that was like two weeks after the first day of a residential where 
she would never believe us for that, you know? I know. It's just so mind-blowing. What, we're, what I'm struggling with just now, I suppose, is remember at the beginning of the year, well, actually before that, when we had um, people on the podcast and I was that excited about you know, the experts and so on. And then they, and then they sort of disappointed me. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed watching your journey this year with that. <laughs> and then, and then we had some trainers come that I was excited about and then they also disappointed me. Mm-hmm. Well, I keep being disappointed mm-hmm. and I keep having, I guess, um, why are we in a situation where people are like, it's very unusual for me now to be working with a human that hasn't had six or seven trainers. Yes. All of the people who came on the workshops had trainers, and some of the trainers haven't been bad trainers. They've actually done some good stuff with them. But training is like seems to be a world away from what we're doing, which I guess is a good thing because we found our own niche and we found a bit that's yep. that's missing. But I think there's a place for trainers, but I think it's very far away from doing anything to do with changing. Yeah, and you have to bear in mind that we see a specific percentage of the population. We're not seeing the whole population. You're getting people who've been to many trainers, who've got reactive dogs. There's equally loads of dogs out there that have all the obedient stuff, that are perfectly good, unquestionably, you know, on the sofa, never need to worry about the risk kind of dogs. So we are, it is a niche market for a specific subset of the dog population. And that means that no generalist is going to be suitable for dealing with that subset. But the generalist is absolutely suitable for dealing with the general population where there's no real issues. But as a side issue of that, all of the trainers have been given advice to do avoidance. And dog outgrow behaviours. Yes. Or dog push buttons. Yes. Which sometimes is going to work because you've not got a problem with the dog, and sometimes it's going to go horribly wrong. And that's the thing to realise is sometimes that advice. Well, my brain, my brain does proactive things, right? So I want to be doing like, how do we prevent this from happening rather than constantly firefighting? Yes. Or should I just give up and just do the firefighting? Well, it's not give up. <laughs> I think you should do the firefighting initially, but you feed back in the loop, so you kind of come back to the start. And, and see if there's anything you can do to feed into the process to reduce the amount of firefighting cases that oh, you have. We have, um, Jesse and I have been putting together a course for owners to come and do first and with the idea of making like a, an owner, um, a pro-owner level course. Okay. So I was speaking to a lady who's German and who passed a license to have a dog. So in Germany, if you have a dog over 20 inches, and a certain weight, sorry, 20 kilos and a certain height, 20 kilos, laughing at me, um, you have to have a, a, you have to have a, a license for it. Yes. Because that's a lot of dog and you want to make sure that you're seen enough. So what, what is important for us as responsible professionals is to not just get lost in the firefighting and fixing things that are already broken, but to do two things. One is to consider how we feed into preventative measures. Is there anything we can do and to ask ourselves that question? And the second one is to make sure that more people are able to do the same thing that we do so that we can reach more people 
or more dogs or whatever it happens to be. But I think if you are in it for more than the money, which both of us are, then it's about thinking about the bigger picture things with the, what we do. Yeah, changing cultural perspectives. Yeah. Changing the, the face of dog ownership in, in Britain. And um, yeah, it's beyond just us, isn't it? It's, it is, but it's that's a slow burn small wins kind of scenario because you can kind of lose the will to live if you're just trying to change everything you know if i wanted to get it so that um you know the amount of times i post something and everybody goes all kids need to hear that all schools need to hear that all parents need to hear that and i'm like yes they do however <laughs> i if i kind of try and reach that i'm just going to get frustrated in the moment because that's not how no, the we system have tried works. It, haven't we and yeah we have tried systems work. so we do what we can we do books we do videos we open doors we talk where we can and we take opportunities but equally i could just go well sorry i can't do anything with it and just focus on my one-to-one -one stuff i don't do that and neither do you so it's how do we kind of feed the knowledge base change perceptions and, and question things that may be okay and leave them alone leave them doing their thing work in a different space okay so one final question for you um some dog trainer on tiktok had said um you can't just be a trainer you have to have other hobbies and things that you're, you're doing otherwise you're not going to be doing a very good job training right jesse and i are completely encompassed with this just now like you know one o'clock in the morning kind of conversations about how to well put content together and so on that's all i do all my hobbies are out the window yes i had to get up an hour earlier just to go to the shops for some toilet paper the other day yes don't have time for anything else is that detrimental to my health yes and to well your success <laughs> To your health and to your success, because you, you lose perspective. If I did something that wasn't dog-related, I would feel guilty about the amount of reports I've got to write. And you could do with finding... this podcast is You could me feel do guilty. with finding a therapist then, because that's a therapy issue. <laughs> There's a therapy issue. But you um, also need to do some business building issues. You need to think about more than just so you as an individual. <laughs> yeah, so you need to step back. So the problem is, you and Jesse, your Jess-squared relationship, as I like to call it, you bounce off ideas off each other and sometimes not every idea needs to be done and that's so, so a thought <laughs> you need a facilitator definitely that's my parting thoughts for the podcast for both of you <laughs>